Father, thank you. Thank you that, oh, thank you, Lord, for this fellowship. Thank you that we can, um, we can share together, we can hear from you together, we can minister together. Thank you, Lord, that you've put us together like this in this particular small family that's part of your large family. Thank you, Lord, that we um, who are here really want to know you. We know that you desire truth in our innermost being, and we want to do our part to, to put the truth in and ask you to make us know wisdom uh, from that truth. So, Lord, we just give this evening to you and ask you to use it for your glory. We, um, we just, well, I want to say, Lord God, that we love you, I love you, and that I am so grateful for the fact that you love us and would want to tell us all these things that we're learning. Thank you so much. And thank you for the assurance that that gives us that we are children of God, that we will be with you for eternity. Um, and yeah, just thank you, Lord. Thank you um, for everything that you have done and will do. We praise you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so... Um, I hope that you did some homework and you read the three chapters of First um, Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. It's really helpful if you can at least read the chapters before you come. Um, and, uh, sorry, something's gone on with that. I don't know what that is. Uh, how would you... Um, well, first of all, sorry. So something happened with... Oh, it's, I know. That's what's happened. It's come off with my glasses and my earrings and my ears and everything else. It's just like, oh my goodness, don't suggest anything. No, don't, it's no need, thank you. There's no need, I get it. Yeah, I know, but I did the whole morning with my earrings on. I mean, for goodness sake, okay. <laughs> right, so um, these three chapters are often taught separately. They're often looked at separately. They're often uh, used separately. They're often talked about as spirit. You know, what are your spiritual gifts? Find out your spiritual gifts as if they um, are a separate letter. Um, but these three chapters, as you know already, they sit in the middle of a letter to a particular church at a particular time. Now, of course, they're there for us too. But it's really important to understand this in context, no less so than all the other chapters we've seen already. So if you had to describe this church that, that Paul was writing to, how would you describe it? How would you describe the congregation? Dysfunctional, yeah. Exactly, different backgrounds, different cultures, very young church, yeah. How would you describe the believers? I mean, how... Paul starts with a very nice start. They've been enriched with every spiritual gift. They are saints by calling. Um, but then he goes on to say, um, talking about the divisions among them, and he's heard about them from Chloe's people. And um, So what's their level of maturity, do you think? They understand the freedom. Exactly, but not the responsibility. They are a, an imperfect congregation. They are imperfect. They are flawed. They are, um, yeah, as, as Mike says, dysfunctional in many ways. And, they are Im and in particular, they are immature. Primarily, I'm sure there are some mature believers there, but mostly that is the case. If you study the New Testament, that is the case for most of the, new ch the early church. They were imperfect, they were flawed, and they were a bit dysfunctional. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's the point, that's the point. 
these believers that had been enriched with every spiritual gift, that were vitally alive in that way, were also flawed and immature and imperfect and um, plagued by problems, actually. So I think it's really important to understand that because these, this, these chapters on spiritual gifts or the way that God uh, manifests himself in us and through us is written to a church that are really struggling with how to get on with each other and how to actually do church. So it was really important. And I think that's what we struggle with a lot. You know, this, this understanding that you can be vitally alive. You can have, uh, have been born again, have received the Spirit, have, have you know that the Lord is working in and through you, but you can still have difficulty relating to the people you sit next to every Sunday. You know, uh, and agreeing with them. Yes, Alan. Yeah, well, one of the gifts that he talks about is discerning of spirits, isn't it? It's not actually literally just discernment. It's the discerning of spirits, which is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, it hasn't changed down through the ages. It's the same thing now. Um, So what do we understand from that then? What are we supposed to take from that understanding that we've just talked about? In your life today, what are you supposed to understand about that? That you can be vitally alive in the spirit that you can be born again, that you can be set on fire for God, and yet at the same time belong to and, and be adding to the dysfunction of local church. So what, what are you to understand from that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to, yeah. But also, what else? Yeah, as well as in effect. <laughs> yeah. But don't you think one of the things that he's been talking about all the way through this letter is that spiritual maturity takes time. It takes time. It doesn't just happen. The gifting of the Spirit happens immediately. But the maturity gained through the um, indwelling Holy Spirit takes time. And it actually, because it takes time, that means by necessity there will be trials and tribulations, there will be difficulties in the church. And it's so, in a way, it's not the fact that there are difficulties and trials that will grow you up or set you apart or make you more mature. It's your response to the difficulties and the trials. That is what will start to be noticeable in you as you gain maturity. So it's not that you're not in a church that hasn't got lots of problems. All churches have problems. They all do. Because you can't put old heads on young shoulders. No. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Of course. Exactly. Yes. Yes. 
But I think it's really important to know this because, because often when a person, a young believer, is, is intensely gifted, that you can see the work of the, manif the manifestation of the Spirit in them, that that's, they are not necessarily supposed to be leading a church. Because their gifting, yeah, and their gifting is the work of, of the Holy Spirit through them, but their maturity in the Spirit or by the Spirit is going to take time. And, um, and I think that's what we see here, and that's what uh, Paul is concentrating on, this idea of immaturity. And he knows this church is immature for one main reason from these chapters. What's the main reason? Yeah, exactly. And what's the one that they are holding up as like the best one, speaking in tongues? And actually, he's going to list that last. That's like the baby gift. So he's not going to reject it or, um, or, or say it has to be. He's not going to make any claim about it at all other than it is a spiritual gift, but it is usually the first gift. Yes, yeah, so he's not talking about a gift then. It's not the main gift he talks about, no. So, so, okay, so where do we first read about speaking in tongues in Scripture? At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, talks about the rece reception of the Holy Spirit, that he came as, as, as if tongues of fire. They saw tongues as of fire. They heard a sound as of a rushing wind. And then they all began speaking in other tongues. What were those tongues? Languages. Languages. He names the countries, Galatia, Egypt. He talks about Rome. He talks about all these uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia. Sorry, I can't pronounce that right. Um, and he's, he talks about those places. And every one of them says, I, we don't know what's going on. We can hear them speaking in our own language. So why were, there all the, why were all those people in Jerusalem at that time? To Pentecost. They were there for Pentecost. They had to come up to Jerusalem three times a year. And so they were there for that celebration. So there were many more, hundreds of thousands of people more in Jerusalem at that time. What has just happened at Pentecost? What has God done? Yeah, and what has that for? Birth of the church. Birth of the church. It's the birth of the, the church. So all of these people who heard the languages, what happens to them? What, what, what do they get the opportunity to do? What, what has God? They hear the gospel in their own language, in their own language. And, and what do we read about that? Yeah, many came to faith. I think at the end of chapter 2, it says 3,000 were added to their number in that one day. Wow, exactly. I, yes, yeah, I think they just went around, you know, and that's what happened. Um, so when you meet. The gift of tongues later in Acts, in Acts chapter 10, 44 to 46, the whole uh, encounter with Cornelius when Peter goes there. Um, again, the gift of tongues is evidence of the reception of the Holy Spirit, and, but it's a language. It's a human language that is understood. In uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 17, same thing. It's a human language. What do you understand then if you didn't have anything else about tongues, if you just had that in Acts, what would you say the gift of tongues was for? Who is it for? 
It's for, other, it's for unbelievers. It's for other people. And what's the purpose of it? So they can know the truth in their own language. So then it was that they could hear the gospel in their own language. But it was, it was a sign to unbelievers that God was speaking to them in, or, or appointing by these believers to God for the unbelievers. Actually, that's what Paul's going to say in this letter. It's a sign for unbelievers. Now, does that mean that it's not to be used in the church with, with believers? No. But its primary purpose is for the speaking of truth to another person. What does Paul say? If you're using, if, the, if, if you have that gift of tongues or using that gift within the body of Christ, what must happen at the same time? There has to be an interpreter. What's his reason for that? Because it's useless without them. And actually, we're all believers. You speaking in tongues actually doesn't tell me about God unless I can understand what you're saying. Do you see what I mean? So um, already you know from Acts and going into even this use in, in Corinth, you know that there's a purpose for the gift of tongues. And actually there's a purpose for every spiritual gift. Every spiritual gift. What is the purpose for every spiritual gift? Glory of God, yeah, but he specifically says something in these, in these chapters. Yes, to speak truth, definitely. What's the purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ. That is the purpose of the spiritual gifts. It is for the building up or the building of the, um, uh, the church. Uh, if, if you're not sure, I mean, if uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 7 now there are, well, we'll read from verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. The common good being what? The entire church. But, but not necessarily for unbelievers. This is for the common good. And we are... Uh, we're included in that, all for believers. Okay, now, before we get into, um, you know, given by the Spirit, uh, ministered in, this, in the area of ministry and the effects by God, in the original language, the first line is, now concerning spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. The word gift is not in the original. And that word spiritual means regenerate, so now concerning regenerate, concerning spiritual, concerning all things spiritual, I do not want you to be unaware. Right? He's going to go on to use gifts. He's going to say, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. The word gifts is charisma in Greek. It comes from two words, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which is grace and Gift, or, uh, or our word, ma, which means the result of. The word gifts here means the result of grace. 
A spiritual gift is the result of grace. What is the grace of God in your life? It's a free gift, so, and how does it come to you? How do you, what happens when you believe you've received the Holy Spirit and that is the result of grace? The gift of the Spirit is actually the, the result of grace. The whole of you receiving the Spirit is the result of grace. But now, as the Spirit, who is God, works within you, the result of it, we call a gift, but it's actually just the result of the grace you've received. Okay, so in a way, it's not separate from the grace. It's, it's t- to do with the grace. So the Spirit comes and he manifests himself, he expresses himself, that's what manifest means, expresses himself through individual believers in any way he chooses. Are we supposed to be saying, please, you know, I just want the gift that Sue's got? Could you just give me her gift? Because you know what? I'm not so keen on mine. I mean, are we supposed to be saying that? No, because that's glorifying you. Yes. God would Yes. So tell me, why do we have such a concentration on asking for the gift of tongues? Uh, he says, desire eagerly, the, the earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but he's talking corporately. Earnestly desire as a group, yes, the gifts that will be, what, why, what gifts would you earnestly desire as a group? Yes, but also think about it. What's the purpose of the gifts? Yeah, to give, to build up the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. What gifts would be, we be earnestly desiring? We would want gifts that, would, that we can look around and think, wow, we're lacking a bit in that. that Lord, you know, you know what we need. Would you please bring what we need to build up this particular body of Christ? This is not a request. Lord, could you just give me the best ones? You know, I think I'd like this or I'd like that. It's, that's not the, the point. Yet we have whole things that teach that that's what we're supposed to do. In particular, to pray for the gift of tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not quite made it yet. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're just not quite there. Yes. So could you just, I mean, just open your mouth and start to speak. Just practice. Just say a few, you know, babbling words. That's what I've heard. Just babble a bit. Open your mouth and babble a bit. You know, what's the purpose of the gift of tongues? It is a communicating gift. It's a communicating gift. First, to unbelievers, to speak the truth of the gospel to them. And secondly, Paul will say, if I speak in the tongues of angels or of men, but have not love, it's like I'm like a resounding symbol. So there obviously is the tongues of angels. And maybe that's what people use when there's no intelligible language and you're on your own and you're talking to the Lord. I don't know. But that is what it's for. If no one can understand you, and if there's no interpreter, Paul's advice is, don't speak. Don't speak. Right. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. It, it, it really, um, she, she was so upset 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't mean that, Anne. No, she's standing up and she's saying or sitting there and saying what she feels led by the Spirit to say. That's one thing. But actually, I would say that nowhere in Scripture is the Methodist church model. It's not there. The Anglican model is not there. None of them are there. The model of church in the New Testament is this. That, well, actually, not even this, because I'm doing all the talking. But it's this. Well, you know. No, there's always you, Mike. <laughs> no, but, you know, the model of church is that we all bring something. That's what he says in verse 28. He says, when you get together, someone brings a teaching, someone brings a psalm, someone says this, someone's that's church yes now you wouldn't have to say to someone has anyone got the interpretation you wouldn't even have to say it because someone would either have it or not and if they didn't have it you'd all be praying instantly oh lord we certainly need interpretation in this place do you see what i mean oh definitely yes yes definitely oh definitely i think you have to speak it out but but so I'm, what I mean is, I suppose, the understanding of how it works can't work in our, in our kinds of churches. They just can't work, yeah. Mm. Um, I would imagine that they are speaking to the, 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 the spirit. You know, I, I have to say, I think a lot of things that people say in tongues is maybe not the Holy Spirit. I have no. I don't know because I'm. I'm not an expert on that. But I would think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that that gift. But on the same in the same breath, I would say that if the Lord speaks through you in a tongue you don't understand, and you're doing it under your breath, what's wrong with that? You are praying as if, and and you are feeling that you're communicating with God at a deeper level. People will use the um, Romans eight that the uh, Spirit prays for us with groans too deep to utter. And what they're saying, what they'll take that is that the Holy Spirit is actually causing you to speak in a, in a tongue that you don't understand. No, neither do I. It's not coming out, I know. Yes, 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 definitely, definitely. No, but definitely useful. And also... Yes, he'll say that in these, in these things. And so, uh, yes, I mean, it's a gift. I've spoken in tongues. It is a gift. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but you don't need it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think often, because often we don't know how to pray for people. And so that's when I would think you would be more likely to use that when you're on your own. But remember, he's writing into a massive situation where people are exalting the gift of tongues as if it's like some massive, you know, super spiritual, exactly through it. But also I think what we should understand is that the culture, the culture of the day, which really makes it easier to understand. In Delphi, which was near to Corinth, they had the, the oracle, 
Delphi, and they had lots of different uh, gods that supposedly spoke through people. So the oracle at Delphi was a priestess, and she uh, breathed in, apparently one time, volcanic fumes, and then spoke out a lot of nonsense, I expect, and people called that spiritual. And so uh, what you had was that sort of going on a lot. And, and epilepsy, for example, was called the divine disease. So when people f had an epileptic fit, they were considered to be, th that was considered to be the work of the gods in and through them. And therefore, they were more spiritual than your average everyday person. The people went into trances. They had ecstatic sort of language. This was all supposed to be more spiritual. That the, was the culture. It was spiritual than ordinary speech or ordinary behavior. Okay, the medium, yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, definitely, definitely. And also, in our church, we've imported a lot of that stuff. So writhing on the floor or uh, falling over or being in a trance or anything like that or speaking absolute gobbledygook or laughing continuously, that's considered spiritual. That comes directly from Corinth and directly from pagan cults. That's what they did. So now he's writing into a culture, remember, into the church that is in the middle of that culture. Those, some of those people have come out of those cults by the gospel. Now imagine, you've come out of those cults. Someone in, in the church has got the gift of tongues. You immediately think about the oracle at Delphi. <laughs> what are you going to think about the person with the gift of tongues? Oh my goodness, they are super spiritual. Let's bow to them. They must be hearing from the gods. Do you see what I mean? So you can see how this gift particularly was misused. Now, imagine then, because it's hard to make sense of, therefore, verse 3, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's difficult to understand. But when you know that there was all this um, cult paganism, um, maybe someone there had said Jesus is accursed in a sort of trance or in a some sort of... And what Paul is saying is that's impossible by the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of them were believing it. Oh, that's, that's, from, you know, that's from God. So it's, it's just confusing, isn't it? What do you think about the Jesus is Lord? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. What do you... It is. Mm, mm. She was saying something about the son of the living God. Yes, that was a, a, the demon that inhabited her was saying that. But what he's saying is here, no one can say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit. That's impossible. So I would imagine someone has said that, and that's been one of the questions they've written to him about. And then no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. What did it mean in that culture to say Jesus is Lord? Not Caesar. Not Caesar. What would it cost you to say Jesus is Lord and not Caesar? Your life, or at least your livelihood. So can you see what he's saying? No one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it. Well, no one would say it. Why would you say it if you didn't mean it, if you knew it might cost you your life? So he's setting up this, your speech and what you believe 
is indicative, or your speech particularly, is indicative of what you believe um, about God and about Jesus. Because there's all sorts of nonsense going on there. Okay. Um, okay. So actually, I ha you know, when you see in these churches people writhing on the floor or, um, you know, that we see in our church in our day, you know, that's not the Lord. That is impossible to be the Lord. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. That, they're that the, the demon that was inhabiting them, is they're being delivered from. But when you see believers going to church every week, people who, who, who do know the gospel, who have said they believe, and they go to the front for prayer and they fall over and they writhe on the floor or there's something or they're coming out with all this nonsense, you know, that is not scriptural. Absolutely. Yes. No. Yeah, it's uh, Second Timothy, yeah, First Timothy. Exactly, exactly. Now, as Eve's right, I mean, I think it's possible that some of what you see at those things is the expelling of demons. But what you would expect is that person to, to be uh, self-controlled and disciplined after the expelling of them. Not to be, exactly, and not to continue in that practice. I mean, I've been to conferences where I, a woman got on the stage, she had the whole room, 1,000, 2,000 people in the room, and she stood on the stage and laughed and jerked for 45 minutes. She didn't say one intelligible word, and she was the wife of the main speaker. She heads up a church with him. And all I could think was, you have a room full of people. Surely God's going to say something. <laughs> Who have come. So, um, okay, so uh, this idea of spiritual gifts is for the building up of the body of Christ. If that is true, and if as we go through here, Paul's going to talk about each different gifts and each one's being given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's going to talk about the body, that a hand doesn't say to the foot and all of that, which you, you know, I'm sure... You've read many times. What's it, what is the image of the body that he's trying to get us to understand? We must work together. We, ha we have been put into this body of which Christ is the head. And what's the purpose of it? What are we supposed to be doing? <sighs> yeah, working together with what purpose? that people will come to know the Lord Jesus. We are doing what Christ, we are continuing to do as a body what Christ did when he was on earth. What did he do? Yeah, he told people about God. He talked about himself being God. He said he came to offer forgiveness and redemption and everything else. He healed the sick. He had compassion on the poor. He was full of grace. He was full of love. What do you think the church is supposed to be? Full of grace, full of love full of truth, John chapter 1, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. The body of Christ is supposed to be full of grace and truth, and in that way we represent him. How do you grow in grace and truth? Yeah, in his word with the truth, and, and by, by giving over more and more of yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what will happen when the Holy Spirit has more and more of you? in your life, you know, you're saying to him, I surrender, Lord, I, I don't quite know how to do it, but I'm going to do it, I want you to take over. What will start to be seen in you? 
Do you think you'll get more spiritual gifts? Yeah, so, but what, what would the effect of that be, Mike? What will the effect be? There you go. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of spiritual maturity, not the gifts. These people had every gift, but they were spiritually immature. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is the... Exactly. Now, isn't it funny that in the middle of these three chapters about spiritual gifts, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, if I speak with the tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I am nothing. He says, what does he say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then right at the end, but now faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, not a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. They are all fruit of the Spirit. And they all come with maturity. The most spiritual, spiritually mature person in the church is not the one who, who has all the gifts, necessarily. It's the one who won't take offense. It's the one who refuses to argue. It's the one who won't, in Paul's word, eat meat, sacrifice to idols, if he knows that it will do you in. It's the one who considers you above himself. And that's what they couldn't understand. They were taken away by this, the manifestations of the Spirit, particularly the more kind of amazing things. They were just thinking that that was a sign of maturity. Now imagine being in a church where the baby gift of tongues was the one that was thought of to be the most impressive. Imagine what would, what would you be doing? Yeah. Yeah. But wouldn't you be saying, wow, that young guy or that young woman, I mean, look at all those gifts that they're doing. They speak in tongues, they do this, they do that. Let's make them leader of this church. That's what we do all the time. We, we look at spiritual gifts and we equate that with maturity or the work of God. Of course, it is the work of God, but in order to do, to be a, a, a more mature part of the body of Christ or a more effective person in the body of Christ, Paul tells you how that is, that you, you are patient, kind. You don't act unbecomingly. You're not arrogant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, go on, Eve. No, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. Thank you, Eve. It isn't. It isn't. Um, yeah. I think the. Yeah. Well, it's the um, word, isn't it? So, yeah. So useful. Mm. It's such a gift. Mm. And yes, I don't highly applaud the fact that 
I think the whole church is highly flawed. The free church is highly flawed because we belong to them. So that's it. We belong, we're part of the church. Therefore, it's imperfect. And that's what we have to understand. And really, it's not the fact, it's not that, you know, that there aren't disruption and, and division and trials and tribulation. It's how we respond to them that separates, uh, that separates us and shows the growth that we've come to. Um, and so, if you're in a church, you know, you are the church. You know that, right? You, we, you don't go to church. You are the church. But if you're in a building that is, meets every Sunday and it's, it's your family, your church family, um, and there's division and disruption and arguments and this and that, what's your purpose in that place? Yes. Yes, you're supposed to be quietly living the truth or living the grace of God out in front of them. Now, it's not easy, of course. It's difficult because inevitably the humanness in us gets in there and starts to take sides. But the more you are given over to the work of the Spirit in your life, the more you are interested in following his lead and being like Christ, the more effective you will be in your church, in your fellowship. And that's what you're there in that fellowship for. Really, that's what you're there for. Nothing is perfect. You know. Um, okay. Varieties of gifts, one spirit. Varieties of ministries, that word means areas of service. So a ministry is an area of service. So there are varieties of manifestations of the Holy Spirit, expressions of the Spirit. There are varieties of areas of service. And there are varieties of effects, each brought about by the triune God. And um, he's, he's very clear on that. Um, goes into chapter 13. Or, uh, sorry, let me finish. He, he gives us a sort of order at the end of chapter 12. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? What do you think he's trying to get over to them in that? that? Exactly. Not everyone has all the gifts. And but? Not quite there yet. <laughs> What, else, what has he done here in this little section? He's ranked them. God has first given apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then this, then that, then the other thing. He has ranked them. Why has he had to do that? Because he's just finished talking about a body where every member is equally important. So why has he done that here? Because hasn't he, in, in chapter 12, all he talks about is how the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you, or to the ear. Well, they're not positions, they're gifts, aren't they? Well, I suppose teachers, apostles, yes, yes. Mm. 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 Yes, I would say that, like a missionary. Yes. Yes, 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 that's interesting, yeah. 
No, that's right. Yes. Prophets are speaking forth the word of God, aren't they? They're or giving, yeah, teachers in in much the same way, yeah, in much the same way, and then going on. But don't you think he's had to give this sort of uh, listing to show them that the things that they're acclaiming as the most important are actually down the list, and the things that they are not taking into account at all are actually at the top of the list. I don't really think he's setting up this hierarchical thing because he has completely talked against that all the chapter. But what he is saying is, you know, you've got it upside down again as usual. It's all upside down because he puts tongues last in this short list. Earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a more excellent way. So what would be the greater gifts then in that list that he's just given you? What would be the greater gifts? No, in the list, first of all, in end of chapter 12, he's just given you that little list. Apostles, earnestly desire people who will go out with the gospel and who will bring other people into the church. Evangelists, I earnestly desire that. Every body of Christ needs evangelists. Otherwise, you're all going to die and there'll be no church. Mm. So there has to be that. Earnestly desire people who speak in prophecy or prophets, those people who can speak forth the word of God into the situation that's going on in your world and actually make sense of the situation and see it as the plan and the purpose of God. Earnestly desire those people because the world's going nuts around us and we need people who can look at the scriptures and say, oh yeah, but this is this. You know, we need people like that. Earnestly desire teachers. Go through that list because this is what the church needs. And all of the... um, Uh, things that he talks about here, they're all important, they're vital. But he's talking about earnestly desiring those gifts that actually will grow the body of Christ. That will... Yeah. (laughs) Yes, there you go. Mm. Yes. Exactly. That is the prayer to pray. He was passionate and he... he, he Yes, yes. 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 Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I, I think it, I totally agree, Eve. I exactly agree. I mean, that's the thing, you know. Um, mm. Yeah. So, um, I think the important thing in this particular section is that he put tongues last because that's the thing they're exalting and holding up as, a, as evidence of maturity in some ways. So, he says, um, talks about that, 1 Corinthians 13, we've looked at. He's um, 
this church is still worldly. They're still looking at things from a human perspective. And he turns that perspective upside down in 13 and says, this is the real, the reality. Love us like this. And what does he say? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual. Again, no gifts. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. Why especially that you may prophesy? Yes, well, yes, but actually, yes, it is. But a word of knowledge is God speaking. A word of wisdom is God speaking. Why would you pursue love, uh, yet desire spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy? Prophesy. Build up the body of Christ. But what is prophecy? It's speaking. It's taking the word of God and, and showing the relevance of it in today. Why would that be something he's saying? Pursue love, yet earnestly, especially that you may prophesy. Wrap, wrap the, you know, the word. Of, the more that you understand the word of God, the more you will understand what he means by love, the more you will be loving as you let the Holy Spirit lead you on, and the more you will be able to take the scripture and relate it to what is happening in our world. What might that, how might that help people who are in your congregation? Can you imagine a loving person, a spiritually mature, loving person who loves you, loves us, and comes in through the door, joins our fellowship, and is able to look at the situation in Korea, North Korea, and the situation in the Middle East, and the situation here, there, and everywhere, and say, no, not that they've just walked in. Let's say they've been here for a while, and you know them. So you know they know the word of God. You know they walk with God. You know from who they are and how they live that they love God, and they love his word, and they love you. And now they start to explain to you about the events in the world in, and relate it to scripture. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have in your fellowship, in your regular everyday meeting? Wouldn't that be wonderful? So that, what would that remove from your thinking? Doubt, fear, exactly, uncertainty, anxiety. What does God want us not to have? Fear, no fear. What does he want you not, what does he want to answer? Your doubt. What does he want you to be able to do? Correctly interpret scripture and understand that though the world looks chaotic, his plan is being performed. Can you see how all of this just builds up, builds up, builds up the body of Christ? That's what this is all about. It's not the gift. It's not about the gifts. It's about how to build up and make firm the, the body of Christ. Um, he goes on in chapter 14 to talk about um, the same thing, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. 
One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And it's all about, could you stop thinking about yourself individually and keep thinking about yourself corporately? You are part of a body. You are a toe or a hand or an arm or a leg. And you can't exist on your own. See, our Greek thinking is so um, linear. You know, we, we think of ourselves so individually. We can't think in a Hebrew fashion where it's all about the corporate body. And he's having to train them and us to stop thinking about ourselves individually and start thinking about how we, how we move as a body, how we relate to each other, how we think about the gifts or oh, the work of God through us. And he's saying, I speak in tongues more than in now. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Yes. An interpreter, exactly. That's wonderful, yeah, because that is edifying to the body of Christ. And also, if you're in a church and that happens, and you hear that interpretation, and, and the witness of your spirit is, yes, that's right, and I've heard things that I've had that witness, oh, no, that doesn't sound right to me. But let's say you have that, and you're, yes, that's right. That's just a wonderfully reassuring thing, because you think, wow, God's spoken to me, to us, through that person in this really wonderful way that isn't usual in our world, you know. So, it, yeah. Get over your childish preoccupation with tongues, he says. It's, it's not a, a, an evidence of maturity, in fact, the opposite, usually. Um, and then he's going to go on. I love in uh, chapter... Is there anything in chapter 14 that you particularly saw that you want to talk about or... Um, I'm skipping through because, I, I mean, there's so many. There's three chapters here. You'll have to come to the day on spiritual gifts, September 15th. It's called Family Gifts. And so we'll talk about this. I mean, this is, we're not even scraping the surface, actually. But, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Your spirit, yeah. 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 Um, and I think uh, just this understanding that, I mean, he quotes in verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are mad? But if, yeah, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his, hearts are dis of his heart are disclosed, so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Um, yeah, it is. <sighs> and that happening. Exactly, it is. 
What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, obviously, when they're getting together, their assemblies had become sort of bedlam. You know, everyone was doing whatever they wanted, speaking in tongues, shouting out. He's, that's why he's going to go on to talk about if there's no interpreter, keep quiet. Um, if there's anyone's going to prophesy, they should two at most or, th or three at most. I think two or three at most. And the, and the other prophets will judge what's been said. What does he mean by that? Testing it, exactly. So, exactly. So he, what he's saying is, you know, you're, you're supposed to be self-assessing as a body. You're supposed to be listening and, and understanding and thinking, that can't be right, that can't be right, because this is right. This is the truth. Remember, they didn't have all of the written New Testament. So they're hearing. People are coming in as prophets and they're hearing stuff. So Paul's saying, you, you need to be able to discern and assess what they're saying. Well, that's no less true for us. We've got people saying to us now in the church that, that we need to be free and work outside the box and God works outside the box and the Bible's the box and we can't keep him in the box. He goes out and he does all sorts of things. It's just like, what is that all about? That's nonsense. But we have to know that's nonsense. So, um, okay, so when they're meeting together... Uh, what would that look like then? Let's say this group, if we met on Sunday morning and did church, what would it look like? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that presupposes something. That's really interesting. Uh, that presupposes something. What is it? A yeah, that's true. Mature, mature yeah. And the, you'd show you were mature by what? By praying beforehand. So what do you do on Saturday night? That affects what you feel like on Sunday morning. That affects what you bring to church on Sunday morning. What do you do when you first wake up? You know, are you checking online and, or are you thinking okay I'm going to church and I'm part of this fellowship and I want to bring something to this fellowship Lord or use me in any way or you know it's that idea that's what he's setting up um, and then it, of course he talks about women women should be silent in the churches we know that that can't be what he means because we've already gone through chapter 11 and seen that he's talked about women praying and prophesying whatever you think about the covering he's they're speaking so he doesn't mean that they should be silent so what do you think might be happening well i think it's mostly that in their newfound freedom they're actually speaking out in tongues and they are prophesying and they are just randomly doing what they want because it's new to them they're not they've not been allowed to do this sort of thing before and it's a bit like bedlam so maybe there are there is i mean i'm sure the men are doing it too but i think particularly these women are obviously doing that i think it's also possible that those verses 34 to 36 as 34 and 35 sorry are something they wrote to him i.e. 
the women should keep quiet in the, or keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak. They're to subject themselves. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands. Is that something they wrote to him? And he replies, was it from you that the word of God first went forth? What are you doing? I mean, I don't know, but it's possible. It can't be that they're to be silent. So I think there's just bedlam going on and he's trying to put order in it. What does he say into... Um, he says, uh, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. That's the last verse of chapter 14. Yes. Yes. There will be order. God is not a God of confusion. Where is that verse? I thought I must have just gone over that. Uh, God is... Oh, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not confusing. He is peaceful. And so, um, so, what do we make from it all then, regarding the gifting of the Holy Spirit? If participation is restricted, we all suffer. We all suffer. So the, the working of the Spirit is to be encouraged. We are to be encouraged one in, in one another to, to, to find an area of ministry, to uh, trust the Lord will bring the results, to start being unafraid, to speak, to do, all of those things. Exactly, exactly. There you go. Exactly. And encourage. And so younger believers who've, who've got whatever gifting they seem to be, you know, the Holy Spirit is manifesting, we're to be encouraging those people. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're completely off the wall. You know, it's, it's this idea of encouraging. Because you're, you were completely off the wall at one time. You may still be. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and even now, I mean, I can't hardly believe it, but even now we don't know everything, you know. <laughs> See what I mean? Well, we're old and bold, aren't we? Yeah, we don't know everything. And so, so there is so much still to learn that we need to be encouraging each other to learn it and to be unafraid to express whatever we uh, feel is from the Lord and to be not offended when someone says, I'm not sure where you got that from, Anne. Where did you get that from? You know, not to be offended at that, but to say, oops, oh, I don't know. Lord, help me out. Do you see what I mean? 